morning, everyone. We're reading today from Genesis chapter um, 19. It's on, it's verse 30. And it's on page 20 in one Bible and page 13 on another. The reading goes from <clears throat> chapter 19, verse 30 to um, chapter 21, verse 7. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, for a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clean conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you will 
and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Verse 11. Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wandering from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offence against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Nice happy ending. <laughs> I had promised to pick up some family members uh, from a coach bus stop in the middle of the city and bring them home to our place. But uh, with those driving conditions and also my lack of planning, I was late. I got there late. And it was in the, uh, in the BM era, that is the before mobiles era, uh, when you just can't contact someone when you're not at home. And so can you imagine what went through their minds of these family members when they, after a long journey, they uh, stepped off the bus uh, into the pouring rain without umbrellas and they looked around and I was nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Uh, what would they have 
thought. Can we trust Scott? <laughs> I mean, he promised that he would be here. He's very forgetful, maybe unreliable. We need to sort this out ourselves. So they left the bus stop and wandered the streets of the city searching for a public phone. You know, when I eventually found them, I have to say it was a rather wet and tense and miserable uh, car journey back to my place. Now, it's easier to trust someone when uh, everything is fine, isn't it? But when someone hasn't turned up, or when the thing promised just doesn't seem likely, it's easy to doubt. It's easy to become anxious and fearful and then take things into our own hands. Now, this is a theme which is threaded through that uh, passage of Scripture that was read for us uh, today and uh, then some as well, and especially in regards to one of the key figures of the Old Testament, and I'm talking about the man Abraham, and yet this passage does not begin with Abraham. It begins with Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his two daughters. Now, uh, if you were with us uh, a couple of Sundays back, uh, you may recall that Lot and his daughters were involved in one of the most dramatic events of the whole Bible, and that is the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was a destruction from which they had been saved as God sent messages into the city of Sodom where they lived and, and led them out of their house and led them well away from the city and check out where they're living now. If you open your Bibles at uh, chapter 19, verse 30, uh, we read that Lot and his daughters left Zoah and settled in the mountains for he was afraid to live in Zoah. He and his daughters lived in a cave. They lived in a cave. And I've got to say that Lot also lived in fear. Lived in fear. Earlier on, uh, when God's messengers told Lot to flee the city, uh, they told him to flee to the mountains. And uh, Lot was afraid of that. He was afraid that he couldn't run fast enough to escape the, the, the to outrun the disaster, and he asked God if he asked if he could flee instead to a city called Zoar, and uh, they said yes. God allowed him to flee to the city of Zoar, and now what's he afraid of? Living in the city of Zoar. <laughs> and so, what has he done? He's moved to the mountains. <laughs> instead of fear, uh, Lot should have just trusted God in the first place. But Lot's daughters, they also live in fear, a different kind of fear. They live in fear that with the men of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah now all reduced to dust and ash, that their chances of having children are looking a little bit slim and the family line would come to an end. Now, think about what they have just experienced. They have just experienced the incredible power of God and the salvation of God. They'd experienced his power and salvation. So what did they do uh, facing the prospect of not getting husbands? Did they pray to God and ask God uh, to give them husbands? Or did they just trust in his plan for them? <laughs> uh, well, in chapter 9, verse 33, no, they, they hatched their own plan for children. 
serve up their father some lots of wine one night, get him drunk, and then go to bed with him. One daughter one night, the next daughter the next night. Now, I can't imagine the awkward conversations that took place in that cave house about three months later uh, when their pregnancy was discovered. You see, although Sodom's daughters had been taken out of Sodom, there was still a lot of Sodom in them. And from their two sons, uh, from through their father, in verses 36 to 38 came two ungodly races of people. The Moabites, who were famous for their, uh, their sexual immorality and their, their orgies, and the Ammonites, who were famous for sacrificing, regularly sacrificing their children to death on the altar of their false god, Molech. Now, instead of fear, Lot's daughters should have simply trusted God. But Abraham himself also has a fear. I'm going to read to you again from chapter 20, verses 1 to 2, if you'd like to follow. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, there's a bit of geography uh, going on there. They had uh, gone down close to Egypt, and basically, uh, as Abraham moved his flocks and his herds around, he ended up in this region of Gerar, which was uh, ruled by King Abimelech. Uh, now, Gerar, uh, if you, we can actually picture it, it's, uh, it's pretty close to Gaza, which is an area that we're all too familiar with, unfortunately, at the moment. But the issue here is not geography, it's fear. Abraham's fear for his own safety because of his wife, Sarah. Two things we need to know about Sarah. Number one, she was very beautiful. Number two, not only was she his wife, she was also his half-sister. And Abraham's fear was that uh, whenever he entered into a region that uh, local rulers, powerful men, would, uh, uh, would see Sarah, would be attracted to her and thinking that uh, knowing that uh, she was uh, his wife, they would kill Abraham in order to marry Sarah uh, as, as their wife. So what did Abraham do? Trust in God to protect him? No, he hatched his own plan. So instead of introducing Sarah as his wife, he introduced Sarah as his sister so that local rulers would, uh, would take Sarah to be their wife and would leave Abraham alone. Now, he's already done that once uh, early on in Genesis in Egypt. But he, you'd, you'd have to think that, um, well... Given that Sarah was almost 90 years old, uh, you wonder, you know, was this still a relevant risk? <laughs> was it still likely to, or was he, did he have a phobia? <laughs> was he overreacting? 
Sarah lived until the age of 127. Uh, she was, by 90, she was clearly over childbearing age, but she aged slowly. And she, would have still be, she was still attractive, still attractive. And so when uh, Abraham meets uh, King Abimelech, he introduces Sarah as his sister in order to save himself. Now, the immoral treatment of women in these chapters in Genesis uh, is very clear, isn't it? And it's uh, very clear it's, that it's against God's will. Uh, like in uh, chapter 19, uh, when in Sodom, uh, a, lot, you know, a group of uh, uh, lustful men turn up at, Lot, at, so at, um, at Lot's doorstep to, um, uh, to have sex with the two male visitors that have come to his door. And remember what Lot does? He... He wants to protect his visitors because of Middle Eastern hospitality. Uh, he offers up his daughters to the men. Uh, you know, if he really felt that strongly about Middle Eastern hospitality, he could have offered up himself, couldn't he? But he offered up his daughters. Offered up his daughters. That's sin. That's dreadful. And, and, uh, and here, where, where Abraham could have put his wife first and trusted the promise of God... But he doesn't. Now, you know. By the way, uh, gentlemen, how does a how should a man love his wife? What does the Bible say? Well, in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's the way that a man should love his wife. But here, instead of uh, trusting in God's promise, and remember what the promise was. The promise was that through Sarah. Through Sarah, God would give Abraham a son and many descendants. And what does that promise depend on? That promise depends on Abraham still being alive. God would have protected Abraham, but did Abraham protect God? No, he feared, and his fear led him to, to wrong Sarah and also to wrong King Abimelech. Have a look at verse 3. After Abimelech has taken Sarah... Uh, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, have you ever noticed that God, um, God sometimes, uh, God always uh, accomplishes his plans, uh, not because of us, but in spite of us? In spite of us? Case in point, right here, um, in Genesis chapter 18, only a few months earlier, uh, a couple of months earlier perhaps, God had promised Abraham through the visit of the, t of the when he visited Abraham with his, uh, with his messengers, God had promised Abraham that within 12 months that Sarah would bear him a child, a son. And now, within that, that time frame, what's he done? He's gone and given her to another man to save his own skin. But God would achieve his plan despite Abraham. Uh, chapter 20, verse 4. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, 
Will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And did she also not say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and, and clean hands. And then God said to him, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you, I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Wow. Messy. Messy, isn't it? And in what follows, Abimelech, the pagan king, Abimelech does everything which he could to clean up the mess. He calls his officials together. He explains to them what has happened. And his officials are then now in fear, fear of God. And then he calls Abraham to join them and to give an account. How have I wronged you, Abimelech says to Abraham in verse 9, that you have brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? Why have you done this? Uh, to which Abraham responds by explaining his fear, giving his excuse that Sarah actually is his half-sister, kind of blaming God because he says, what well, you know, when God caused me to leave my father's home and wander around, uh, this is the, the policy I come up with with respect to my wife, what he doesn't say is, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Instead... It is Abimelech who returns Sarah to him and who voluntarily pays a price of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of stock and uh, of, of servants, but also of silver. I want you to have a look at chapter 20, verse 16. This is Abimelech, and Abimelech says to Sarah, I am giving your husband... No, he doesn't say that. He says, I am giving your, your brother... And this has got to do with, 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 with her um, being vindicated. I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offence against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Who is Abimelech concerned for? Sarah. But he's also concerned for his own people because in verse 17... Because of this issue, God had closed the womb of every woman in Abimelech's household. And who would pray for those wombs to be opened? God gave that responsibility to Abraham. Abraham, whose own wife's womb would now finally also be opened. For as chapter 21 begins, God's long-awaited promise is fulfilled. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. And you've got to think, again, wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier if Abraham had just trusted what God had promised instead of fearing the world? What about you and me? I want you to think, what is the most important and indeed the most astonishing promise that God has made 
to us. I reckon it's the promise of heaven, don't you? Of forgiveness and eternal life. There was a lady I knew who, um, who'd grown up in churches all her life, a middle-aged lady, um, married with kids, and uh, she had heard the gospel many, many times, and uh, she knew that Jesus died for her sins. Uh, she was at church, you know, semi-regularly and also part of a Bible study group. But, but she often just seemed anxious, um, anxious about God's promise, anxious that it would not be fulfilled for her, that she was not good enough to be forgiven. It's kind of the nature of forgiveness, though, isn't it? <laughs> that you're not good enough. None of us are good enough, and it's the reason why we need forgiveness. But it's so easy to think that there's got to be more to it, more to than just trusting Jesus. I mean, you know, don't I need to do something as well? And so we, we leave the bus stop. And we take things into our own hands. Uh, trying to solve the problem of our sin ourselves by, by doing good deeds, by being religious, by trying to obey the Old Testament law and uh, as if we can somehow make ourselves worthy of God and receive that gift of heaven. Because forgiveness just seems too good to be true which can actually make us more fearful, more fearful when we realise that we can never be good enough. Uh, or it can make us proud because we think that we can be good enough and we look down on others, others who we think are beneath us, who, others who think we think have lived a more sinful life than us and others who simply trust God's promise Abraham and Sarah tried to do it without God they did they did that by by Abraham having a son not by Sarah but by Hagar remember uh, Sarah's uh, servant woman and then treating that son Ishmael as belonging to Abraham and Sarah they tried to do it themselves instead of Trusting God's promise. And so now, with Sarah's son Isaac being born, Abraham now has two sons. Isaac, the son by God's promise alone, and Ishmael, the son by Abraham's work. Can I ask you to have a look at uh, chapter 21, verse 8 to verse 10. Uh, the child grew, that's Isaac, he grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But even though they were evicted as 
if we could read the rest of that section, not time to today, we would see that God, God cared for Hagar and cared for her son Ishmael. In Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that Isaac and Ishmael represent two kinds of people. Two kinds of people that we'll even see uh, in churches today. Uh, on the one hand, there are those who, who in vain trust in their own goodness to get to heaven. Well, that was how Ishmael was conceived, by human effort. By human effort. On the other hand, there are those who, like Isaac, are the result of promise who by trusting in Christ's death and resurrection receive the thing which none of us deserve, receive the thing which none of us could achieve, but the thing which we all need. Forgiveness and eternal life. Now, <laughs> learning to trust God's promises was a journey for Abraham. Learning that regardless of who might want to kill him and marry his wife, regardless of how old they became, regardless of what seemed impossible or too good to be true, that God can always be trusted. And this was a lesson he had to learn, a lesson which would prepare him for the most difficult test of faith that we could imagine in the next chapter. Stay tuned for that. But as this chapter ends, we see that through his journey of doubts and fears and sin, <laughs> that he actually landed in a very good place with God. A very good place with God. In uh, verses 22 to 31, um, Abraham uh, and Abimelech uh, as two powerful men decided to make a treaty with one another, a, a kind of a, 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 um, a, an agreement uh, of, of understanding between one another. If Abraham was going to live so close to where Abimelech was going to live, that was going to be necessary. They made a treaty with one another at a place which they came to call Beersheba. Beersheba, uh, the place uh, of, of the vows place of seven sacrifices and when the formalities were over what did Abraham do in verse 33 he planted a tree and he called on the name of the Lord the eternal God the eternal God you know those family members they were, I think they were quite reasonable in not trusting me on that night don't you think I mean, after all, I am forgetful. Ask Cassie about that. I was late, and sometimes I do let people down. But the eternal God, the eternal God is always faithful to his promises. He is the same as, uh, as he was yesterday, as he is today, and he is tomorrow. The eternal and faithful God. And we know that he is faithful to his promises, not just by the miraculous birth of Abraham's son Isaac but by the death and resurrection of his very own son Jesus 
who by his sacrifice on the cross can wipe away the guilt of our sin forever. Of your sin and mine. Regardless of how you've lived, regardless of what you've done and who you've hurt, regardless of how unfaithful you've been, that's called forgiveness, isn't it? Forgiveness. And you might ask, will he really do that for me? Can I simply trust in Jesus? And should I love him for that? The answer, yes, yes, and yes. And in a few minutes we're going to hear a story of how God has done exactly that in the lives of one of our families in our church. But before we do, uh, let me just now lead us in prayer and then we'll reflect in song. Father, we want to thank you that though we are faithless, you are faithful. Uh, though uh, you have a plan that you work it out, not because of us, but in spite of us. Help us to trust you more, we pray. Help us to trust in Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us in him. Amen. Mm.